0: Good morning. Look at us on Memorial Day. We don't got a jam-packed room. If you're new here, this is rare. We have a. It feels like we can breathe in here. What's up? Got people on vacation, college students back home with the parents. Um, this is cool. There's two uh, two prefaces that I have for us today that came kind of on my mind in the past like five minutes then we're gonna get into uh, our, converse, our teaching for today. But the first thing is, um, I, really, I really am struck. I can look around this room and literally see people that I just met recently or people that I've known for a long time. And, but everyone that I see, I'm like, oh, I wish everyone knew that person. And I feel that way about like all of you. Like I hope our family knows each other. And I, I do want to just remind us about kind of the season for our church so we're right smack dab in the middle of Vanderbilt and Belmont. Lipscomb's not too much farther. So naturally, we get a lot of college student overflow, right? We just get a lot of college students. It's one of the best gifts that Ethos Church has. So we have a lot of college students. But for the summer, a lot of them go home. And what it leaves is most people that like live here are going to be here for a minute. What I would call, without any shade toward our college students, I would call this like our, our core. Maybe we'll just call it our summer core right here. And I just wanna remind you that like everyone here is some of the most consistent, always here year round. And I just wanna encourage you, invest in the people here this summer. Community is so weird and hard to grab onto, you know? Everyone wants friends, but how do you get them? How do you get friends? Try to answer that question. And it's funny how you're like, yeah, okay, good point. Just like walk up to a stranger and start talking to him and you just kind of cross your finger, yeah, I don't know. But in this space, it's gonna happen with us just being intentional with one another. And so I just wanna encourage you, for June, July, August, when you come into this space, if you see someone you haven't met before, like I'm gonna just ask you, be courageous, get out of your seat, walk across the room, sweaty palms and all, and introduce yourself, get to know people's story. I think summer presents an opportunity for our family to grow in intimacy, to be bonded together, and I will say, I don't think some of you have any idea how awesome some of the other people are, and that'll only happen one way. So get to know each other, okay? Does that make sense? If you're new here, get to know people. If you've been here for five years, be sure to welcome new people into this space. Let's get known. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay, just be friends. All right, whatever. <laughs> I lost you guys like 75% of the way in there. So um, secondly, if you're new here, we have been in a Bible study of 1 Samuel, emphasis on Bible study, okay? So in other words, the past two months has not been a ton of like alliteration, big punchy points. You know, this is, what, this is what we're supposed to take out of this sermon. It's been more like we're gonna read the text and let the text just tell us stuff. And then we'll reflect on it and see what the text is telling us. And today we're gonna do the exact same thing. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're covering a very popular story, David and Goliath. Perhaps one of the most popular stories like ever, right? Uh, Much less in the Christian tradition. Um, And we're just going to walk through it. There's 58 verses. We're going to read every single one of them. Um, And it's going to be what we're gonna see. We're gonna see what it's gonna be. But what I'm trying to tell you is I need you to be ready to participate with me, all right? No promises that you're leaving super inspired. No promises you'd be like, man, that sermon, like, whoa. We're just gonna read the Bible and see what God has for us. And I'll just say this, the more you lean in and participate, the more rewarding this will tend to be. That's kind of how the Bible works. The more you participate, the more rewarding this will be. All right, that sound good? We here? Happy Memorial Day. I guess, Um, all right. To remind us where we've been, I'm about to oversimplify last week to the nth degree because if you were here last week, that's a hard one to simplify. Uh, Cody Hunter walked us through a lot and it was, um, it sounds like it was all very, very good, but there's no way I could just simplify it. A lot of Hebrew, but here was the conclusion. King David has been anointed, or I guess David has been anointed. He's not yet king. And what we learned through a long series of study last week is that when God looks into David's heart, what does he see? Someone answer that. What was it? Himself. He sees himself. He sees a heart longing for God's heart. And that's exactly what God would want, right? We, we noticed, we teased out some differences. When you read 1 Samuel, does it seem like God chose Saul and anointed Saul? or that Israel kind of chose a king and Saul was the first king. What about David? Does it seem like God kind of saw David and anointed David? Ah, yes. That's where we're like, oh, God, it seems like God anointed David because David had a heart after God's own heart. That's kind of where we ended. All right. To recap the rest of chapter 16, Saul hires David to play music for him, the harp. I always thought that happened after Goliath. Didn't. Happened before playing the harp. He also hires David to be an armor bearer. I didn't actually do a big study on armor bearer, but it sounds like the worst job ever. It sounds like someone who just carries armor but too much to actually fight back. So like during attack, I don't know what an armor bearer does. I'll get into that later. I'll try to study and figure it out for you guys. But anyway, so we're going to join chapter 17, and you need to know that. David has been in Saul's camp. He's playing some music for him. He's bearing armor, and then the other half of his schedule is given to taking care of his father's sheep. He's also a shepherd boy. So get this picture of sometimes David is with Saul and and his army, and sometimes he's kind of alone with his family tending to his father's sheep. And that's where we're going to join in to chapter 17, the ultimate David and Goliath story. Now, quick reminder, this is another week of taking off the Western lens So way back when we talked about, hey, when you're reading historical narrative, here's how to approach it. And one of the things we talked about was taking off the Western lens. Here's an example. We have been raised with a hero-villain complex, right? Every movie, every story, there's like, oh, good guy, cool, got it. Oh, bad guy, got it. Don't like him, love him. Rooting for him, rooting against him. And in the David Goliath story, that will be present. David tends to be a good guy. And spoiler alert, Goliath tends to be a bad guy. But I think if we stick with those terms, we'll miss out on some fun nuance and and what maybe the scripture has for us, okay? All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna break up 1 Samuel 17 into three parts. And I'm gonna, here comes the Bible study part where I'm asking you to participate, okay? You guys ready? Verses one through 18 is the first section we're gonna study. Here it comes. I'm gonna ask you to read that on your own. And if you pull out a phone, or a piece of paper, just anything you notice, just take a note of it. Don't elaborate, but like if you notice any details that you hadn't seen, just jot that down. Write that down for memory's sake. And Luke, is it cool if we just play some like, I forgot to tell you this, He plays some like chill music? Um, for the next like four minutes, I'm just gonna let you read the first 18 verses, then we're gonna turn it to me, I'm gonna walk through it, and we're gonna do that for the whole chapter. Ready? All right, read chapter 17, one through 18. Yeah, there's some music. There's an emotional part in this part. You're going to cry. All right. So I'm just going to walk us through the first 18 verses. I'm just going to recap it for us, tell you what I noticed, and then we're going to move forward, okay? Um, So, first 18 verses, we go from chapter 16, David, armor bearer, playing music for Saul. And right when you start chapter 17, you don't really get any glimpse of like what's going on, why, but the Philistines and the Israelites are gonna fight. (laughs) That's like, that's kind of how the Philistines and Israelites always feel, just out of nowhere, we're fighting. They're border rivals, uh, always something going on. A few chapters ago, Jonathan, son of Saul, was assassinating a chief officer. This time, we don't know, we just know it's fight time, okay? Um, And just to kind of help our own imaginations, there's two mountains, yeah, a valley in between the two, and then there's the Philistines on one side, and the Israelites on the other side, and just for my own, like, humor, I like to think they can see each other and hear each other very well, but there's such a valley, they can't get to each other, so they're like, hey, man, you know, you watch your mouth, <laughs> I'll come over there, give me, give me four days at sunset, you know, <laughs> I'll be there, I'm going kick your butt. Anyway, all right. Uh, So uh, they're taunting each other, one mountain to the next. They do not like each other. Um, And it says that the Philistines send out their what? Their champion. That's what the ESV says, at least. They send out their champion, which sounds epic. And we already know Goliath is massive. So he already feels like a champion, don't he? It's like, yeah, Goliath. What's his height? Six cubits and a span. I don't even got to explain that. You guys know. I'm like four cubits for reference. I'm kidding, I don't know what I am. Um, so Goliath over eight, wait, what is it? Nine feet. Nine, is it, what, what's nine feet? Six cubits. In okay, cool, yeah, yeah, All right, I thought you meant I was nine feet, and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh, don't flatter me. Anyway, all right, so we've got a very tall man named Goliath, and he's named the champion. But honestly, that name is, is a little, in the English language, has so many positive connotations. Really, it just means a man that would go to the middle. Really, it just means a guy that would go in between the battle lines and go, yo, fight me. I'm the champion. So that's Goliath. All right. Um, Verses five through seven, they serve. Samuel, the writer here, is letting us know everything about Goliath is big and strong in the world's eyes. Like he is huge, he is tall, his armor is made of bronze. If you read verses five through seven, it goes at length to go, it was heavy, big metal armor, okay? Not comfortable at all. I actually thought about what a bronze helmet would feel like on your skull. Would not feel great. Every time you turn your head, like what? It'd be like kind of wiggling on your head and hurting. Anyway, um, fun facts about bronze specifically. So when you see Goliath and his armor of bronze described, there's a real similarity in the root word. It's the same root word here in Hebrew um, for serpent. So I'm not saying this as fact. This is the fun of reading the Bible. You've come away with a lot of, maybe this is true. I'm not saying this is definitely true, but there is some serpent similarities in Goliath. You'll notice that it says Goliath is wearing a coat of mail, which means a body of scales, which could be referring to the physical appearance. But again, you're getting snake vibes because what do you see in Genesis 3, verse 15? God says to the serpent, you're gonna bite at man's heel and man will stomp on your head. Now, not to get ahead of us, but eventually, someone's going to stomp on someone's head in this story between David and Goliath. I won't tell you who does what, but (laughs) there are some similarities. Verses 8 through 10, Goliath, big, tall, strong man, begins talking, makes a proposal. Yo! All of Israel up there on the mountain, send someone to fight me. And Won't be a big deal, but the loser, all of his people will become slaves to the winner's people. That's all the stakes are, is everything about your life and your nation will change forever if you lose this one-on-one boxing match, I guess. So Goliath comes out taunting God, taunting God's people, send someone out, let's fight for this, and the winner wins literally everyone. Okay, so verse 11, Israel is contemplating this fight, We got a big, tall dude that we got to fight. All right? They're looking around. Tell me, so far in Samuel, do we have a big, tall, head and shoulders above everyone else leader in Israel? What's his name? It's Saul. He's the big, tall leader. Okay? Now read verse 11 of chapter 17. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So just imagine you and your army and big dude yelling, everyone hears it like, what's he saying? One-on-one fight, winner take all, okay. And you look around and where are your eyes gonna go? One, the biggest, tallest dude in your camp, two, or your king. Well, it's both in this story. They all look to Saul and what do they see? They see fear, he's scared, okay. Verses 12 through 15, David enters the picture. We learn that his three oldest brothers are in war with King Saul and that David is playing a part-time role. Sometimes he's with them, armor-bearing, playing music, whatever he's doing. And other times he's tending his father's sheep in Bethlehem. There's a Jesus parallel there, if you wanna catch that. So David tending father's sheep in Bethlehem. Okay, verse 16, we learn that Goliath is out there yelling at the Israelites for like 40 days. every day. Sun rises. Goliath makes his little trot. They can all see him. They're like, got that little whatever tools they use to see him. They're like, ah, oh, there he is. I basically start yelling again, and he would for forty days and forty nights. Fun fact: forty days tends to stand for a time of testing in scripture. You can go find several different stories that will include this forty days and forty nights. So I think it's important we clue in on that. There's something about the testing of forty days, forty nights. Examples: You got Noah. The earth floods, 40 days, 40 nights. You got Jesus in the desert, 40 days, 40 nights. You got Moses on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights. I've got seven other references, but I'm gonna stop. All right, a lot of that. Um, In verses 17 through 18, um, we see Jesse, David's father, saying, all right, my three oldest sons are about to go into war. We better make sure they're well-fed. And did anyone notice what he told David to bring them? Literally wheels of cheese and bread. Some of y'all are like, that's not bad. That's not a bad pre-war meal. So we end verse 18 with Jesse basically going, hey, go feed your brothers. Leave your flock, go feed your brothers. They're about to go to war. So David's role is more of just help out, stay out of the way kind of vibe, okay? You guys ready for the next section? That was literally it. All right, your minds are just like, whoa. All right, let's read verses 19 through 37. 19 through 37, act Two. Again, three minutes, then we'll come back. All right, let's bring it back. Um, I know this isn't enough time to like read and digest, just to be clear, but uh, we'll see how it goes. All right. Um, act two: Let no man's heart fail. Let's read verses 19 through 37. Um, All right, so verse 19, we see that some fighting is already happening. Philistines and Israelites, they're fighting. I don't know how this worked. In my head, they stared at each other, David and Goliath fight, and that's it. But we already got some bickering. I don't know how physical it is, whatever, they're fighting. Um, David has left his sheep in Bethlehem with a keeper, all right? And he's bringing his wheels of cheese and bread to his brothers. And when he shows up, um, the host of Israel is declaring a war cry. So all I can really tell is stuff is intensifying. So picture David showing up to Israel's camp, and when he shows up, it's getting intense. Everyone's got their armor on, they're standing up, there's this anticipation in the air, uh, because when he gets there, he runs to his brothers. He runs to greet them. So it it seems to me, it's not just like, I missed you so much, it's him seeing the environment and going, all right, I got to get to my brothers real quick. We got to have some dialogue, okay? And for the first time in verse 23, David hears Goliath. So in verse 23 is when we're first introduced to David even being aware of Goliath's existence. Here's him yelling, you know, probably talking to one of his buddies or something. And it's like, hold on, what's up? is someone yelling right now? Gosh, he's far away, but he looks tall. Is he tall? You know, whatever. All right. Um, okay. Verse 24, all of Israel is afraid. Okay, so just picture a thousand people all wearing helmets, got spears, and you just hear this like rattling and it's the spears just clinking against the helmet, just, (laughs) oh, you better run. (laughs) You know, like, uh, all right. So in verse 25, this random person says, have you seen, I'm paraphrasing, you guys are comfortable with this. Have you seen this giant? He's bad news. Whoever kills him is gonna get a lot of money. His parents' house will be paid for. and the king's daughter will take his hand in marriage. So someone just says that, okay? David, that's literally, read it. This is verse 25 right now. Someone's just like, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but here's the reward for killing the king, okay? Then David asked, I'm telling you this in chronological order, in verse 26, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine? We're like, no, hold on, you know? When I read it, I was literally like, I had to reread this like four times. I was like, wait, didn't that just get explained, right? And I think that's a fun little moment. I think that's a fun little moment as I'm explaining it. (laughs) Hop in on the fun. It seems to me, now listen, we're at a point now where I'm going, here's what I think might be happening, but I'm not sure. And that may not be comfortable for this like setting where the preacher is supposed to be preaching like the truth. But it seems to me, that David is going, hey, can you re-clarify for me the terms of the contract? Hey, wait, what is it again? To me, David's going, I'm going to kill him. What's the contract? Hey, run that by me again, because he's dead. So what am I getting? I don't know if he's assessing, I just got anointed king a chapter ago. That's how he's thinking about it, a chapter ago. I just got anointed king. So wait, what happens to whoever kills Goliath? And where does that put me in God's place? I don't know what he's doing, but he wants to know what's the negotiation here. What's the, what's the deal for the guy that kills Goliath? I think it's really interesting. And at the very end, he points out, this guy has defied the armies of the living God. He's insulting our God. So not only is he going, what do I get for this? But also he's insulting everything we're about and the name of the living God. So like, it's time to go to work. You know what I'm saying? So you're yeah, all right. In verse 28, David is having these conversations. And this is really interesting too. David's older brother, Eliab, 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 I don't know. He shows up and he's irritated and he's angry. Why is he mad? Who's he mad at? What? I can't hear you. David. David. Yeah. He's mad at David. What does he accuse David of? Yeah. Wants to see a fight. And he tells him that his heart is wicked. Last week, we spent the whole time basically parsing out what makes David and Saul different. And if you had to give the simplest answer, what is it? The heart. So what's happening here? David, a heart after God, comes in, and what's the first thing his own family member is questioning about him? His heart. I know your heart. I know why you're here. Selfishly motivated, just want to see a fight, like really accusatory, just interesting. Verses 29 through 31, David says like three words to his brother to address that attack. And then guess what he does? He asks for a second time, a third time hearing it, but for the second time he goes, hey, what are the details again? What does the killer get? So for a third time, he's had it explained to him. What happens if someone slays Goliath, okay? All right, in verse 32, we have a really important conversation between David and Saul. So word gets around. Hey, this little guy keeps asking about the reward for killing Goliath. Saul hears about it. He's like, oh, David, I know him. Armor bearer, harp guy. Yeah, short. Yeah. Okay. David, come here. Talk to David. Interesting thing that David says to Saul that I think the writer's like, pay attention right here. Okay. He says, let no man's heart fail because of him. And just picture him pointing to Goliath. Hey, Saul, do not let your heart fail because of that guy the whole conversation about david and saul is a matter of the heart and here we go they're face to face and the first thing david does is say in a gentle way hey don't let vaguely the heart fail but what's he indirectly saying saul i know you're scared I know that your circumstances mean more to you than God himself. Like I know when you see Goliath, you're more prone to fear than to grab onto God's promises. Don't let your heart fail. This is not a battle of might and physical strength. This is a matter of the heart, right? So David calls that out. And in verse 33, so this is when I wanna preach and I'm not going to. So I'm gonna to try to make this point and just move right past it. All right, verse 33, what does Saul try to do? In essence, Saul tries to convince David, no, 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 I'm right, you're wrong. You should be afraid, (laughs) okay? Saul literally tries to transfer his own doubts, his own fears, his own insecurities onto David. He says, no, like, kind of like the misery loves company kind of vibe. Like, no, 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 I promise you, the water's warm. You should be scared, hop in. Like, let me show you. He goes, you're so young. You're so small, dude. When Goliath was your age, not only was he still fighting in wars, he was three times your size, all right? You cannot handle this guy. And so he tries to convince David, I have reasons for you to be afraid, okay? Verse 34 through verse 36, David in essence says, hey, Saul, I was built for this. I have been training for this moment. You just weren't there for it. I've been preparing for this fight for a long time. He says, I used to take care of sheep for my dad. Big old open field, not like Nashville where you can't get real estate with a yard, you know? Like how hard that is. That's my one requirement for my wife. Hey, when we buy our new house, all I want's a yard, baby. Just give me a yard and I don't want to be attached to another house. Guess what? I don't got a yard. Anyway, I don't want to tell you this story and I'm attached to another house. Anyway, um, so I'm just jealous of David's sheep and all the grass. All right, so he's taking care of the sheep And literally multiple times, just picture a big open field, he would see a bear or a lion or some angry predator running in from the distance and go, (laughs) like, you know, what do I do? How do I stop this moment? And we don't know how. All we know is he tracks down these fierce, fast, strong, agile, instinctive, jungle-like predators, and he knocks them out. We don't even get details, but he tells Saul what Saul did not know. Like, you don't know this, but I take care of sheep for a living. And I've seen some serious predators with a lot of quickness and agility come in and attack my sheep. And every time I've come out on top. All right. So when I see Goliath, I don't see some big, strong, I see a slow, mumbly, stupid idiot. Like he's not nearly as fast as a lion or a bear. Chill out. We're going to be fine. Okay. That's what I feel from David here. It's like, Saul, I'm not gonna accept your fear. I'm not gonna accept your doubts. Like, I am confident in what God has been working in on me on the secret place. I have memories of moments where God was literally training me for this moment. You don't have those memories. I do. I know that I was built for this. All right. You see where I could really run and preach the mess out of that over y'all? Ooh, there's some good identity stuff here. There's some good stuff about life when you're living into your calling, people will try to convince you to be scared. They'll try to put their doubts onto you. Anyway, all right, let's keep moving. Um, okay, I, gotta keep, I wanna make sure I didn't skip anything in that portion. God will deliver me. Okay. All right, I think I was supposed to go on more of a tangent on David's confidence, but I've already kind of ruined it. So we're gonna go ahead and move to the next point. Is that okay? Okay, let's keep reading. 38 through 58. Final section. We'll keep tapping into it. Confident David. All right, let's do it. Let's talk through it. I got ahead of myself on that second one, man. I kind of took away from my point on the third one. Oh well, we'll get through it. Um, All right, let's talk about it. I want to split this up into pre battle and battle, okay? So verse 38 and 39, we got Saul, war veteran, continuing to try and help David as best as he can and not helping really in any way. Um, Saul tries unsuccessfully to do what God had already been doing for David, which is prepare David for this fight. So in verses 38 and 39, we get more projecting from Saul, although this one, it makes a lot of sense. Earlier, he's trying to project his fear his doubt onto David. Now he's just trying to project his war strategies. So he goes, David, at the very least, take my armor. Well, what do we know about Saul? We know that he's big, tall, strong, right? And we know David is not those things. And so what happens? David puts on the armor. It's cumbersome. It's heavy. Can someone tell me what David says to Saul about the armor? Huge. Huge says, I can't wear this. It has not been tested yet. Now, remember, he doesn't say, I haven't been tested. He doesn't say that I've never seen a test before from the Lord. He just says, I haven't been tested in this armor, so there's no need for it. Um, Something uh, really corny that I wrote down was that he was protected by destiny, and then I scratched it, but I just want to tell you that I almost said that about David. He had the armor of destiny. It just felt like like an Avengers thing. Anyway, um, but in all actuality, David goes, I don't need the protection of armor. The protection I need is like God preparing me for decades before this moment. And I have been adequate, adequately prepared by God for this moment. So David takes off Saul's armor, and then we get the big reveal. It takes us till verse 40 to get the big reveal. What happens in verse 40? He gets some stones, right? I'm gonna start involving you more because I can tell we're checking out on the whole read and Yeah, all right, come back. All right, so verse 40, he reaches for some stones. We learn, oh, he's got a plan. He's got a slingshot with him. The whole time, Saul, Israel had been so focused on the giant and his big cumbersome strength, they had never thought, what if David isn't gonna go in for like trading blows, What if David has another idea, right? And this is a big reveal because he's got stones. He's bringing a slingshot, okay? Big deal. All right. So when David and Goliath start fighting, one thing I notice is, has David ever seemed nervous up until this moment? Do you ever have an inkling that David is like, man, I'm this short, little, incapable man, but God is my hero, and because he's my hero, I have blind faith, and I'm just gonna close my eyes and whirl this stone, and down goes Goliath. Does it ever seem like that's happening? I don't know about you, but growing up, I always thought, man, David, the short dude with a ton of faith, and I believe David had faith here, but what I would label it is informed faith, There are moments where God will ask you to do things and you'll look back on the span of your life and go, man, I don't know. I've never seen a thing like this, but I really feel God calling me, right? And those moments are awesome and noble. And hopefully this community will be here to spur you on blind obedience. However, I think I want to remove the David and Goliath story from the blind obedience category where I had it. I'm not saying you had it there to me. I think, and I, I kind of got into this in the second part, I think David is walking into this battle and it all makes perfect sense to him. To me, the reason he gets the, 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 the calmness to go three different times, hey, can you explain to me the contract again? What am I getting? Like the reason he's like just talking to Saul and I think he's being polite when he puts on Saul's armor. I think he's like, oh, oh, thank you so much, King Saul. Yeah, yeah, put it on, put it on. Nah, actually, I don't think this is gonna work, but thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> don't know what I'd do without you other than just go win again. Yeah, I did. Anyway, so I really think that's happening here. I think David sees a big, tall, slow dummy who thinks like he's about to go down there and get in a boxing match. And he's like, why would I do that? Look at you, like you're huge, right? I think he's looking at Israel like, why are we so afraid? He's looking at his testimony going like, I am so built for this so that when he goes to war, he's using like strategy. He's not going, he's not walking up with his sling, going, oh Lord, you better make this work. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I swear, he's like watching Goliath and timing it all out in his head. He's like, a few more steps. Because what the scriptures say is when they get down there, when it's turf time, I don't know what turf time, when they're on the turf, about to fight. Oh, is it turf time? I say it when I'm about to get in a fight at recess in fourth grade. Uh, All right, let's come back. What it says is David has his stones and he has his staff. And so what we pick from the text is he goes down to Goliath, staff forward. And Goliath goes, are you about to fight me with a stick, dude? And so Goliath, being big and dumb, goes, okay, like, I'm gonna beat you up. Like, here we go. And David's like, a few more steps. And the minute he gets close enough, David sets his staff down gets that sling going and does what he's been doing. He hurls that thing at the enemy's head, <laughs> right? And he knocks Goliath out. And I just, I, I thought it was so interesting for me. Like this is, we're literally about to end the sermon. This is how not inspirational it's gonna be. I'm just leading you down my own epiphanies, I guess. But I thought it was so interesting because I'd already always read this story as, muster up the blind faith, believe what God has told you to do and he will do it. And I think that that's all true. But I also think if we think about this story through that lens, we miss out on like, dude, God is so good at preparing us. He's so good at preparing us for situations where we look at it and go, this is not a big deal. And everyone else is trying to convince you, no, it's a big deal. You don't got time for that. You don't got resources for that. There's no way for that. Like, I remember trying to convince my parents, no, it's cool. Let me manage a laser tag spot, fundraise a few thousand dollars a year so I can be a pastoral intern at Ethos. That was after four years of Belmont and I did not have a scholarship. How do you think they felt about my financial plans? (laughs) Now, thankfully, they honored me, they trusted me and they let me go ahead and fundraise my like $4,000 a year plus my laser tag salary, hourly, Uh, but... But you ever had those moments where you're like, I really think God has made me for this moment. And you got friends and like people that you love trying to convince you. No, 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 no. Let me tell you all the risk involved here. Like, no, no, let me tell you my testimony of God leading me up till this moment. This is not blind faith. This is informed faith. And I believe that in, in walking with God, you get both of those. And to me, David, this is the most common sense, easy next step. I'm not, now I'm about to go too hard. I'm not convinced David and Goliath is meant to be this like, whoa, man, look at little short David. Wow, his faith. Wow, look at God. I think we should see this and go, God, you're so good at preparing your anointed ones. Man, whomever you've called, that kind of visiting back on the, the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Man, God ain't concerned. Like there's plenty of harvests. If the people who are called by his name will go, yes, in me, he will take care of the rest. And I see that here with David. David, you've been ready. You've been prepared. And Goliath really ain't that intimidating if you know that God has prepared you for him. And so anyway, there's some things I see. Let me make sure I don't skip anything. It's kind of a weird, oh, I was reminded of that Matthew 10:16 passage where Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, I'm gonna send you out as sheep among wolves. So be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Tells them, like, hey, be shrewd, be smart, be strategical. Use that smart brain ears that I've given you as you calculate who to talk to, where to go, where to stay. Like, be smart. And I see that with David. It's not a call into like blind, like, I'll take care of it. It's like, no, use what I've taught you and you will overcome. And it will be because of what God has done in your life. Okay, so informed faith. Um, uh, yeah, I think I just wanna take us to discussion. Let's go to discussion. You guys ready? I told you on the front and it would feel this way, right? Like it doesn't feel like it's time for discussion, but here we are anyway. So I wanna have you guys talk with each other. And I wrote down three questions. What do we learn about David's faith? And so really dig into that question. Like, what do we learn about his faith? What difference do you see in David's story up until this point contrasted with Saul's? So think about all of 1 Samuel so far. And then thirdly, what's something new that you learned today about David and Goliath? And does it change how you understand the story? Now, you can use what I've said or just use what you read. If something stuck out to you, feel free to share it. But for now, let's circle up. Let's do groups of three or four And literally just, here's my name. Good to see you. Here's an answer to to each of these questions. All right, so go ahead. Think about these questions. Circle up, groups of three or four. We're gonna do this for like six or seven minutes. We'll take communion together. We'll worship. We'll be done.